Psychological meaning. We're going to dive deep into your inner world, so you can discover where and how you need to grow. I'm your host, Jen, a licensed professional counselor, MDiv earner, and all-around curious soul. My mythical lawyers want me to remind you that all the information in this podcast is most definitely not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. If you enjoy this podcast do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Okay, enough of that business. Let's dive in. T.S. Eliot wrote long before I had any potentiality of life. Go, 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 said the bird. Humankind cannot bear very much reality. Time past and time future. What might have been and what has been point to one end, which is always present. With many, many ways of avoiding reality, I don't know that we would actually have time to talk about them all today, although I'm keeping for you on my shelf conversations I want us to have, the ways that we defend against what's real. But today, we're just going to get straight to the heart of the matter to the part of the apocalypse that we most want to avoid, the part of the apocalypse that is both most feared and talked about, the horror. In our sixth episode, we're exploring the dance of horror and how it can creep up on you, even on the most ordinary of days. He has the kindest eyes I've ever seen, I watch him speak, unable to understand a word he has uttered, but it resonates deep in my bones. I resonate with his sentiment, with his melody. That cadence of his voice, it rolls in me like thunder in the distance, like it's warning me of something in a language only my heart can speak, but my mind has not yet worked out. I feel at once both at home and like I am going to be violently sick. You know the feeling. It's like when you grip the safety bar on the roller coaster right before you soar over the edge. The bottom is about to drop out and you know it. Except, by the time your brain catches up to the reality, the bottom is long, long gone. And you are free-falling, dissolving into pure feeling, losing your sense of self along with your stomach. I suppose I should back up and tell you, though, You and I were traveling back in time and space, yet again. In some ways, we're beginning to approach the culmination of my childhood. And it's not that the moment that I want to tell you about today was particularly sweet or bitter, or that I had had some grand epiphany about the meaning of my life. Rather, it was an ordinary day. And ordinary days back then really consisted of kind of the same things that they consist of now at least on an esoteric level. Because you see, I had spent my entire life doing everything I and others could think of to avoid hell. Of which, 
The apocalypse is the parade that ushers it in, waving to you on floats while you watch horror after horror after horror. By the time I was 16, I'd been watching that parade for what felt like several lifetimes. And I spent those lifetimes running from hell. I was so clever, I could outmaneuver Hades' hounds, though, of course, I carried the scars of the few times I had come a little too close and been singed. The fall of my 16th year, I wasn't really thinking about hell, though. I was consumed with the ordinariness that I was trying to build into my life. I was on track to get my driver's license soon, and from there I was dreaming of the freedom I'd buy when I was able to purchase my very first car. I was finding a rhythm between schoolwork and my after-school job, where I was a kind of girl Friday. I acted as a receptionist, I managed the shipping and receiving department, and I helped manage accounts payable. On slow days, I worked on any range of offshoot projects. I upgraded the server. That used to be a thing, you guys. I would catch up on data entry, and mostly I would daydream about working in a restaurant with other people my age. I don't really remember all the details of that fall. History tends to meld it into one story for me, rather than these distinct plot points. But I do remember buying this it's what I thought was a Letterman jacket. I remember buying this Letterman jacket at a thrift store. It was a piece of normalcy on super sale. In retrospect, it was probably just a bomber jacket mass marketed somewhere in, I don't know, the late 80s, early 90s, when American prep and the Reagan doctrine reigned supreme. I told my mom when she asked why I had gotten it that I had bought it for a little extra warmth. The fall was looking like it was going to be pretty cool, and I just needed a light jacket. Really, though, what I was ashamed to tell her was that I bought it so I could roleplay being young and carefree, like the teenagers in the novels I secretly borrowed from the library. There were many contributing factors to my isolation, being homeschooled, being immersed in an insular religious community, being surrounded by adults way too wrapped up in their own shit to understand how and why I may be different. But the result of each was this pouring need to be both seen and to hide everything about me away. Like most teenagers, I longed to be normal. Instead, I was then, as now, profoundly, agonizingly different. Very little of my life has been usual. I don't know that that really makes it all that much more interesting, though. Difference is a novelty. It's cherished when things are almost too hot to bear. Like a firecracker, that rocket-shaped ice pop that you bought after hearing the siren song of the ice cream truck. In its melody, a promise of a sweet treat and a moment of innocence. Turns out, though, that song, commonly known as Turkey in the Straw, It's just another mask for racism, and that melody that promises a return of innocence is just an offer of continued ignorance, aka racism, Pied Piper style. What isn't novel is how I've always picked the wrong horse to back. Though I think when you're consistently having to choose between the four horses of the apocalypse, it's kind of a crapshoot. 
I didn't know it then, but sitting on my sofa watching Mr. Kind Eyes, he, he had more in common with the people I grew up with. For him, religion wasn't merely a spiritual path to the beyond. It was a political framework. It shaped every decision and every public move he ever made. Religion wasn't an accessory. It was a component of a life well-lived. It was the whole goddamn shebang. Religion consumed him like a disease. I look back and wonder if it consumed me too. I was much, much too old back then. Not necessarily an old soul, just a world-weary one. Seems like I'm always uncovering these moments where I discover that something that passed as normal in childhood is in fact strange and far less usual than I had assumed. It's taken me a while to just notice the horrific and the familiar. The most obvious piece of horrific is this. We hated everyone. We didn't call it hatred. We called it faith and following the will of God. Sometimes, when we're, I think, feeling particularly mischievous, we called it love for the world, but not of the world. Whatever we called it, though, it didn't matter. It was hatred. It was the desire to see the other destroyed, if not by their own greed or lawlessness, then by the thundering command of the divine. That destructive tendency is always most vividly demonstrated, at least for me, in the four horses of the apocalypse. They're familiar to me because I've heard them in many sermons of my childhood, and I saw them in the many signs of the times that permeated ages at least 1 through 19. And that's only half a lie, because I, I see them still. I just pretend not to, like Harry in Book 5, when he can see... What are those things called? The Thestrals. And only Luna can see them, and he assumes that he is crazy. I'm with Harry. I'm with Luna. I see horses that you all, eh, you don't always see. And I don't say that to brag. It is not a quality I wish I had, and it's not necessarily something that makes me psychic. It's just that I'm familiar with a horrific and each horse in the apocalypse carries a different disaster. There's the white horse that carries conquest, the red horse that carries war, the black horse famine, and the pale horse, the most dreaded horse, carries death. But we can't just name the horses and let it be. That's not how the apocalypse works. This is a parade. It's a slow-moving thing. We have to look at each in the face. And the first horse, the white horse, carries conquest or pestilence. We're not here to debate various textual interpretations of Revelation 6, though that would be fun. Nor are we going to like get super into the weeds about the Greek, which again, would be fun. For me, probably more than you. Instead, I'm... Why it's to suggest that we lean into a popular interpretation of the white horse. And considering that the conquering rider in the text does so through plague, the, the, the rider, they're conquering silently, 
It's like a bow flying through the air. It's aiming to hit you straight in your most vulnerable parts. And when I read this text, I ask myself the question. I ask myself, what is the psychological meaning of the book of Revelation? What is the psychological meaning of this white horse and its conquering rider? And the question that comes to me is, what is the disease that plagues our bodies and our lands? How have we failed to protect ourselves? Right now, as I record, there's a lot of debate, interestingly so, about whether or not one should wear a mask when they go outside. And there's rules and regulations, I guess, but it seems pretty basic. Wear a mask if you're going to be close to another person. At least, if you're going to be within six feet of them, wear a mask. And yet, there is so much agony in so many people about how uncomfortable it is and how maybe this disease isn't even real. Maybe it's just a conspiracy theory. Or maybe it's, I don't know, something that can be cured by by somehow ingesting light or a chemical toxic piece that would clean your system out. It's very strange to be living through the plague. And I know technically COVID-19 is not the plague, because the plague is a true thing. And I saw on Facebook, somebody posted, that apparently the plague still kills some people every year, which is fucking insane. But, But this plague, this pestilence, this disease that ravages our land, it is uncovering something within us. And And psychologically, it uncovers things on a personal level as well as a macro level. And actually, there's probably many layers of macro. So there's the personal, there's the communal, and then there's the country for lack of, well, not lack of. It's a way to simplify. Oh, by the way, I'm a little off script right now. Thus, the rambling. Coronavirus is showing how much is wrong at least in the United States, but certainly, certainly for me, it has been uncovering my own roots of racism, of anti-Semitism, which I always say wrong, of, of hatred, of hatred for the other because they are not like me. And when I then am asked, and I'm speaking a little more metaphorically because I do wear my mask, but when I am asked to to hold in myself what is mine and not to give it to another, not potentially risk contaminating them, infecting them with the disease, my own shit that I need to work on. Oh, I may throw a fit. I may protest because I cannot get my hair cut. This disease, COVID itself is sad. It's sad that people lose as much as they do. But what's sadder still is this plague of selfishness, of a desire to only enrich oneself, of a desire to want to be catered to but not willing to cater to the other. I live in a country filled with plague. And it's only the first horse. The second horse, the red horse, carries war. And with it, the terror that reverberates deep inside, 
that we sometimes mistake for courage. And the question I fear in myself, and I think I am not the only one who does, is what is the war that currently destroys our lands? We could be literal. I read just before I came on to record today that Trump has recalled the troops, the troops, <laughs> the police, the whoever the fuck they were. He's just recalled them from Portland, Oregon. But when I wrote this literally just a handful of days ago, I wrote a note to myself, federal agents are kidnapping protesters in Portland as I create this episode. And while I'm grateful that the Republican Party, Trump, has decided to pull these unconstitutional soldiers out of Portland, it was just a test. And it's interesting because Everybody was so shocked. Of course, I was shocked. And I don't often get shocked in the events that have been going on in 2020. Again, not a humble brag. We're just getting to the point of this year that it's like, oh, fuck. Like, this is a rough one. I did not see that one coming. And the reason I'm not sure I understand in myself why I'm shocked is because ICE has been kidnapping dreamers for years. And that's to say nothing about what happens outside of our borders. The Department of Homeland Security, which was created nearly 20 years ago now, has been reigning terror, has been waging war against those who come to this country with some hope, with dreams. They may be small, they may be big, but they they came. And we, we've been murdering them. If not murdering them in fact, then murdering the dream. Murdering the hope. Murdering the spirit. And that's just the literal, psychologically, what war is currently destroying our lands. It feels clear that in many ways it's a propaganda battle for the hearts and minds of more and more people People so caught up in their own shit that they can't find a place to have empathy for the other. And I'm not just talking about those who are protesting having to wear a mask. I'm talking about those who call the mask protesters the deplorables. Whether you wear a red hat or a mask, you matter. And this propaganda war has clearly divided us. Or maybe it's just eliminated our divide. It has amplified how cool we are to one another. How we have no desire to meet as mutual partners, as uh, equals. And I know... The temptation, and I certainly sit further on the left, I'm sure that's not a surprise to you, the temptation is to say, well, they're not willing to talk, they're not willing to listen, why even bother trying? But that is just a defense. I, and I'm not trying to say that you need to engage with the trolls of your family who are lingering on Facebook posed to like dive 
deep into the comments with you and your other Facebook friends about why COVID is a myth or why all lives should matter or why Trump is actually the best president we've ever had and is being unfairly prosecuted or how Mitch McConnell is a paragon of virtue. Although I have not seen anybody actually say that one. When we seek to battle, when we seek to go to war, nobody wins. Nobody wins. And in many ways, that leads us to the next horse. And the third horse is so thin, you might mistake it for that thestral. It's visible to only those who have experienced loss, and fear more losses to come. The black horse carries famine, which lately we call scarcity. And the question the horse offers is what is currently in short supply that we fear not having enough of? This feels like a very easy answer. And it is and it isn't because it's a complicated thing to answer because there's so much that we fear not having enough of. Underneath it, it seems to me the core is we fear not having human decency, of not having empathy, of not having the structure of what happens when the bottom falls out underneath you. Will there be someone to catch you? Will there be a safety bar? Will there be a seat belt? And it's easy to say, well, you know, I don't know if we should give that to those people because they should have thought more about it. They should have made better decisions. They should have done what I did. There's a lack, right? No empathy. No imagining what would it be like to be in that situation. And I'm not just talking about empathy for others, but also, I guess this would be more compassion for self, but empathy for self. To be able to approach yourself with emotional objectivity. Being able to treat yourself with kindness, even when what's in you seeks to criticize and dismantle. To not let yourself off the hook, but to allow yourself to feel, to appreciate there are reasons why things are hard for you. There are reasons why you didn't do the things you were supposed to do or needed to do. There's reasons for that. And having empathy for yourself does not mean you get off the hook for having to do the things you're responsible for. It just means that you're going to treat yourself with kindness as you dig yourself out of the hole. And digging yourself out of the hole is always so much easier when there's somebody next to you with a shovel. And yet, scarcity, uh, lack of survival needs being met, unemployment systems crashing across the country, all of those things are child's play compared to the fourth horse. And the fourth horse is awe-inspiring in a way you wouldn't have expected. This pale horse carries death, who, if you were willing to be honest, whose face haunts you, not for the horror but for the beauty it contains. And the question posed by death is this. What threatens our existence? And really, what is death anyways? And whether we go literal or psychological, it all gets mixed up. And it's easiest to answer this by going into the text. So I'm sorry to drag you all back into Bible time with Jen. And the text says, I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, 
and Hades was following closely behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, to kill by famine, and to kill by plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. You and I, we've already talked about famine just a moment ago. We've talked about sword, or the sword, or war, and we certainly have talked about plague. So maybe now it, it might be helpful to explore the wild beasts. What is the meaning of wild beasts? Well, we could talk about, I don't know, bears or wild hogs, which apparently have infested all sorts of places in the United States, which is a little mind-boggling, but that was happening before 2020, so we don't got to worry about that. I mean, if you have wild hogs on your property, you probably are worried about it, but that's not what we're focusing on today. Really, though, part of what we fear about wild beasts are their primal nature, and it's really kind of a shame that primal nature gets such a, a bad rap. And often if we can pay attention to what it is in our primal nature, our felt sensations, our drives, our impulses, our unconscious ways of being, we learn a lot about ourselves. So often our mind or brain, whatever you want to call it, wants to trick us into thinking that we know all there is to know about ourselves, that we are just who we have constructed ourselves to be. Freud called that the ego, but we're not. My husband occasionally will tell me, we're animals, and I'm like, I'm not an animal, I'm a human being. I'm an animal, right? A human being is an animal. And when we can accept our own primitive nature, we actually stand more chance of not necessarily being able to conquer it, but to really look it in its eye, to see it for what it is, to see ourselves for who we are. To stare into the primal in some ways is like to stare into the abyss. We have to be brave enough to look at what is, as opposed to just what we wish was, or how we hope others see us. If we can be brave enough to look, we may find that it looks back. And in the looking back, there is then a connection, an intimacy, a vulnerability. And we can use the power of the primal to heal, maybe not to raise the dead, but to raise the dead parts in us. These are the horsemen of my childhood. These are the horsemen of our year. And if you're like me, you've been running away from them far longer than you can remember. Let's go back to the beginning. Back to that perfectly distilled blue day. In the late afternoon, I watched Tom broke off talking. He's playing clips, and I'm honed into the mystery of this man who has the kindest eyes I've ever seen, even now, 19 years later. I look into his eyes, separated by time and space, and I see my eyes. I listen to the melody of his voice, and I hear my heart hum in harmony. I'm listening to him, even though I don't understand him. And Tom Brokoff keeps interrupting, keeps speaking over him, and the melody of Bin Laden's voice is drowned out by the recounting of the death toll. 
the visual shifts, and instead of kind eyes, I see the Twin Towers dressed in black smoke. I remember watching that morning as people jumped to their death rather than burn for the rest of their lives. It's burned on my retinas, another wound to add to my library of trauma. And with that memory comes the recollection that this man, this man with the kind eyes, is now my sworn enemy. This man claiming credit for the plan to destroy the United States is not kind. He's devious. He's dangerous. He's a terrorist. Am I a terrorist? The words rumble through me. Have I only been play-acting at being good? What if... What if I wasn't the victim? What if I'm the enemy? The wire in my blood reverberates. It's tuning itself to a truth that I had been blissfully in the dark about for so long. Right until this very moment. Or maybe not now. Maybe the song had been waiting to wake me up for a very long time. It's only now that I'm letting myself hear it. In that moment, my body started to turn itself inside out. Though, you'd never know it if you sat there on the sofa of my parents' living room with me, because on that late afternoon on September 11th, 2001, you'd have been just too engrossed with your own trauma, with your own horror. You wouldn't see me, as the pieces of self are deconstructed at warp speed, as time slows to a crawl, as piece by piece of me is dismantled. Hell finally catches me by the hem of my Sunday best. I can no longer outrun the truth. My entire world explodes in vivid color. As I see with horror and I recognize hell for the old friend, it is. My world doesn't so much crumble as it shatters. And I'm left in the wake, picking up old fragments of pretended bliss. The apocalypse The apocalypse beckoned to me, urged me to wake up to reality, to look at the unseeable, to see the hell that lived inside of me, and the many monsters that masqueraded as princesses. The apocalypse sang to me in the cadence of the enemy. But as Elliot said long before I was born, I am no prophet. And here is no great matter. I've seen the moment of my greatness flicker. And I've seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker. And in short, I was afraid. So I went back to sleep. Or, or at least most of me did. I think there, I don't just think, I know, there was some part of me that stayed awake, that stayed watchful ready to rouse the rest of me when the time came. The thief in the night is lurking still, in me, waiting in the corridors of my heart, waiting to steal away my defenses so I can bear reality in all its glory and all of its horror. Then, as well as now, the apocalypse promises something in words I can't decipher, though I strain to translate them. I think... I think it's something like this. The end is nigh. The moment of your reckoning is coming. Wake up. For God's sake, don't sleep through your deconstruction. 
Wake up for the surgery of your soul. None of us can sleep forever, though sometimes, in these moments of horror, I really wish we could. Join me next week as we encounter the dissonance that reverberates in the wake of horror. Dude, thank you so much for hanging out, exploring your death, and I hope allowing yourself to be challenged to go deeper in understanding what makes you and your inner world tick. As always, I'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes for wherever you'd like to collect all your podcasts. If you're gaining value or you just really like the podcast, I'd love for you to help me spread the word. As J.B. Stern said, silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. If you're an Instagrammer, feel free to screenshot an episode, add it to your stories, and tag me at Therapy for Thinkers. If you are not a social media person, totally okay. Just share it with somebody you care about who you think might enjoy it. All right, that's enough rambling for today. I'll catch you guys next time.